This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Called today, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Shira because it's uh, the Shabbat of the song, the song of Azashi Moshe, which is sung every day at the synagogue. Um, every morning, it's part of the okay, the Zimra, the Psalms that we sing before we say Shema. So before Yishtabak, we sing these songs, but yet, unfortunately, we don't really sing it every morning because of lack of time, or uh, maybe you're just in a rush. So it's a shame, but at least we sing it every Shabbat. So every Shabbat morning, it's sung. And uh, that's, that's this week's Parsha. So Parsha B'Shalah is also called Shabbat Shira. This Shabbat is called Shabbat Shira. This Shabbat of the song, and song is very important in Judaism. We have to talk about it, we have time. Be'ezrat Hashem. Anyway, so we have, let's start with some ideas over here. And one of the first ideas we see is the idea of Bishalach Paro. Paro sent the Jews away. Now, someone asked me a question last week. Didn't the Jews trick him? So they asked him for three days. Moshe Rabbeinu asked him for three days to go and three days to come. And hence, Paro realized the Jews are running away and uh, three days went and they didn't uh, turn back. He had spies on the, work, on the road and they didn't turn back. And he says they're running away and that's why he chased after them. So that's why the seventh day of Pesach, three days to go and three days to come back. And Paro came and he attacked them on the seventh day uh, when he saw that they weren't coming back. So that's why the seventh day of Pesach is a very important uh, day. It's a day where we repeat this parsha in the shul on, Pesach, on the seventh day of Pesach. And however, we don't say the full Hallel. And the reason why we don't say full Hallel, Hallel shows us uh, the, the idea of Judaism is not to rejoice. When fall, Oyvecha, Shlomelech says, when your, when your enemy falls, Altismach. Don't, don't be happy. Don't be happy at other people's fall. And we know that uh, Hashem himself told the angels not to sing because uh, his creatures are being uh, destroyed at the sea. So in other words, even Hashem's creatures, Hashem's mercy on its creatures, even though he found it necessary to drown the Egyptians, he says, don't sing. It's not a time of joy for me. Anyway, one of the first things we have to talk about is this idea of emunah. And emunah, which means faith, literally it means faith in God, faith in God, emunah. Uh, the word amen comes from the word emunah. The word omen, which we're going to talk about, omen is a woman who looks after the baby. She looks after the baby. That's a time of faith. So it's faith. Uh, she's doing it with no ulterior motive. There's no, nothing you get back in return. And that's called emunah. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about is emunah. There's a thing called emunah and a thing called bitachon. So emunah is general belief in Hashem. I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God who created the world. That's emunah. And then there's bitachon, which I believe that there's a God who created the world, but there's also a God who can interfere in my life in a personal way. That is bitachon. I believe not just in God, the creator, I believe in God, the interferer, but he's not just interfering on a national level. He can also interfere in my life personally. And this is one of the things we learned from this week's parasha, or Bishalach, is we're, we're going to talk about how the punishment of the Egyptians was a punishment on an individual level. It wasn't a punishment on a mass of people. It was a punishment on an individual level, the Midrashim tell us. So let's go into this story. So there's emunah and there's bitachon. So emunah is belief in God. I believe there's a God. Bitachon is I believe that God is involved in my personal life. He knows what's going on in my personal life. And he is able to interfere in my personal life. And that's why in Israel, the seatbelt in a car is called hagurat bitachon. 
It's a belt for bitachon, for trust. Because it's a personal belt. Person got to imagine that God is their personal belt. Hashem is walking around with us. He's with us all the time, 24-7, and he is looking after us. And that is the concept of bitachon. But nevertheless, we still have to do things. We can't just rely on God's bitachon. And we're going to talk about that today. How do you break through the obstacles in your life? How does a person break through the obstacles in their lives? And this is a lesson we learned from the crossing of the sea. And uh, the rabbis tell us this applies to other parts to our lives as well. Number one is marriage. Marriage is something which it's very easy to do, but it's very hard to continue with. Any fool can get married, but not every fool can stay married. And that's one of the problems we're facing today. There's lots of divorce, divorces, there's 50% divorce rates. And one of the lessons to this is the Gemara says that Kashin Zibugan Shladam Kekiriyakamsuf. Staying married, well, that's my interpretation. Staying married is as hard as crossing the sea. Crossing the sea. So we have to understand what's the comparison between marriage and crossing the sea. So it's an obstacle. Marriage is like an obstacle course because every single day there's something that pops up that may pop up maybe once a day, maybe once a week, if you're lucky, once a month, if you're lucky, even luckier, once a year. There's always some kind of friction in a marriage. And that's why, number one, <laughs> this is uh, counterintuitive. That's why it's necessary to get married. That's why it's a mitzvah to get married, because through the frictions of marriage, a person will grow from being egocentric to being careful and and thinking about someone else first, someone else's feelings, someone else's uh, ideas, someone else's thoughts. So that's uh, that's an obstacle course. Marriage is an obstacle course. Every day is like crossing the Red Sea. Every day is like an obstacle in your way, and there's no way to run. There's no way to hide. There's no escape, which we're going to talk about the four different reactions of the Red Sea of the Jews. We're going to talk about the different reactions. But it's like crossing the sea because a person, number one, to get married, you need to jump in. Uh, we don't believe in living together for years. By the way, that doesn't help. Because people have lived together for years. Once they get married, they get divorced. So it's interesting. Interesting statistic. That, uh, so we believe that marriage is, that's it. You, you meet each other. You talk to each other. You get along. You have the same goals. And you like the personality, you like the person, get married. Don't wait around. Don't waste time. Just just jump in. Jump in and somehow the sea will split. Even if you don't have much money, you don't have the right uh, house, you don't have the right vehicles. Obviously, you have to have emuna and bitachon to be able to get married. You have to jump in. And Bezrat Hashem, the sea will split. But it's not just a once-off split. That's what I'm trying to point out. It's not just a once-off split. It's a split that sometimes has to happen every day. Because every day there could be obstacles and frictions in a person's marriage. And if you're lucky, you said it's once a year. If you're even lucky, it's once every five years. It's a friction. It's some major obstacle course. And a person is going to get through that obstacle course. So that's number one. Number one is emuna. A person is going to have faith in God and bitachon, that God is watching them. That's a very important lesson in this week's parasha. And the rabbi said, because of this emuna, the sea split. Because of the emuna, they have faith that God is going to make a miracle happen. If you believe in miracles, miracles happen. If you don't believe in miracles, miracles won't happen. So it's very important to believe. A person has to have faith that Hashem can do miracles if he wants. There's a potential for a miracle, and a person's going to have belief in miracles. Number two, that the, the rabbis say that there were four groups of Jews. Let's go into that because it's very important. So there's an obstacle in front of you. What do you do? Say a person's in trouble with the law, he's in trouble with the taxes, he's in trouble with, I don't know, his marriage, um, with people. What do you do? So there's four different reactions brought down 
in the Talmud Yerushalmi in Hagiga. Is Hagiga. The Talmud Yerushalmi says that there were four groups of, of Jews. Their reactions to this, uh, the, 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 they were closed off by two sides of the desert. Straight in front of them is the sea, the Red Sea, and behind them they see the cloud uh, of, of uh, dust, of sand from the hooves of the horses of the Egyptians. They see the Egyptian armies coming up behind them, and there's no escape. Two sides is desert, one side is sea, and there's no escape. What was their reaction? What was the reaction of the Jewish people? So number one, the first group was the group, the Jewish group. They were the religious group. was a religious group. They were crying out. They were crying out in prayer. So they were crying out in prayer, Hashem, please accept our prayers, save us, Hashem, save us. And uh, so what does Hashem tell them? It's interesting. Hashem stopped them from praying. Hashem says, Lama Go and tell the Jews, Moshe, why are they crying out to me? Right? So it's interesting. Hashem didn't say they were wrong. Hashem said, now is not a time to cry. Now is a time for practicalities. There's a time to pray and there's a time to do something practical. So it's very interesting. You would think if you're in trouble, sure, of course, pray. But don't pray all the time. There's a time for prayer and there's a time for practicality. Uh, a lot of people just depend on prayer. But the person say, I'm not allowed to de- depend on a miracle. We're not allowed to depend on miracles. So it's, it's a time to pray and it's time to be practical. It's like taking the vaccine. Does a person have to take a vaccine? And the answer is yes, of course. Don't just pray. Take the vaccine as well. There's a time to pray. And there's a time to be practical. There's a time to trust in God and a time to wear a mask. If you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. There's, you have to be practical. So Hashem says, now is not the time to pray. There's a time to pray. There's a time to pray. Hashem didn't say don't pray. Hashem says this is not the time to pray. So it's a very important point. That a person thinks, you know, I'll just pray and all my troubles will be over. That's, we are here, you know, God says, let us make man. What do you mean, let us make man? By the way, this is for the good health of Rav Abraham Tversky, who's also very sick. So, Hashem, you should have a refuah shlema. So, Abraham Tversky should have a refuah shlema because this is his chidush. Let us make man. I think he has a book by that name. In other words, who's let us make man? He says, man himself. Hashem says, you yourself are going to be my partner in making you. What does that mean? That we have to do our bit. Every time something goes wrong, of course we have to pray as well. We also have to be practical. So that's a very important lesson from this week's parasha, from this first group, who's crying out to God at the, at the sea. We have not, nowhere else to turn. Hashem, help us. Hashem, help us. Hashem says, now is not the time to cry. So be practical. Now is not time to cry. Number two is the group that said, let's go and fight them. Okay, this is a very important idea, the idea of being pragmatic. So here come the Egyptians. And we said last week, it says, Hamushim alu b'nei Israel Mitzrayim. It doesn't say Hamushim, it says Hamushim. Hamushim literally means they were well armed when they came out of Egypt. How do we know they had weapons? Because at the end of this week's parasha, we're going to find the Jews themselves fought the Amalekites. So we see that, and they were successful. They fought the Amalekites, they were successful. So it was a group of Jews at the sea who said, let us fight. Let's be pragmatic. Here's the paro. This is the 600,000 men over here. Let's fight the Egyptians. Maybe we'll win. We have weapons. Let's fight them. We have no other choice. So over here, Hashem tells them, don't fight. Right? There's a time to fight. There's a time not to fight. 
And the trouble with fighting is, even when a person wins, especially if a person wins, this idea of a person's always got to think that Hashem is the one who gave me strength to win. And by winning a war, it's possible for a person to think, you know, we have the best weapons, we have the best plans, we have the best soldiers, and that's why we won. No. What about God in the picture? So a person's got to put, always put God in the picture of their lives. It's one of the 10 things we have to remember every day. Hashem is the one who gives us the ability to be successful in our lives, in all our endeavors. Hashem is the one who gives us the ability to be successful in our endeavors. So Hashem says, don't fight. Don't fight. Now is not the time to fight. Hashem yilachem lachem, v'atem tacharishun. Famous words. Hashem will fight for you and you be quiet. Now is not the time to fight. Hashem will fight for you. So it's a very important idea, this idea that finding strength within oneself to sort of cope without fighting, right? So try and find some internal strength. That's what God says. Try and find some internal strength without even fighting. Just find that internal strength. And we're going to see that one word that Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people at the sea. Hityatsevu. Hityatsevu means be strong and be firm and stand on your own. Be firm. Don't get swayed by the wind. Don't be swayed by the troubles in your life. Don't be overcome by your problems. It's very hard. It's extremely hard when a person is facing obstacles in life. Sickness, loss of job, loss of income, um, other troubles, marital problems. A person has to find that strength inside, the character, the strength of character inside. A person lost a relative, it's terrible. Um, a person's got to find that strength to continue. And that's what Hashem says. Don't worry, Hashem will fight for you. You guys have to find that internal strength. Don't move, just be strong. Stand like a statue and find that internal strength. And sometimes when a person finds that internal strength, they're going to see that their problems go away by themselves. When a person finds that internal strength, problems go away by themselves. Anyway, so number one, we said, the first group says, let's pray. Hashem says, now's not the time to pray. You've got to do some action. Number two is the people want to do the action. Let's fight. Hashem says, don't worry, I'm going to fight on your behalf. Hashem, ilachem, lachem. Hashem will fight for you on your behalf. You guys be quiet. Don't worry. Now is not the time to fight. I'm going to do it for you. It's going to be a miracle. Number three is this group who wanted to go back to Egypt. These are the group of people who are defeatists. Defeatists always want to go back to Egypt. They want to go out. They're the, they're the Jews who come to Israel and then they go away from Israel. So these are the guys who just can't face it. Can't face it. It's too much trouble. There's too many things going on. I want an easy life. I don't want the Egyptians to come running after me. I'd rather surrender. And there's a lot of people like that, unfortunately, want to surrender and just go back to an easy life of exile. That's not the answer. The answer is to be a, a free nation in our land. So we have to, we have, we can't take that route. We cannot just give up and, and walk away. For the first time in 2000 years, we have a state, we have our own country. We have to do the best we can to make it run properly and smoothly. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of good things in this country. I mean, the, the, the way they rolled out the vaccines is a miracle. It's amazing, amazing uh, distribution. And don't forget, this the Pfizer vaccine it has to be stored at minus 70 degrees. Amazing uh, logistics, amazing logistics. Baruch Hashem, this week I had my second vaccine which I hear it's very hard to get uh, anywhere else in the world. So we are fortunate to live here, Baruch Hashem. We're blessed to live here, Baruch Hashem. Everyone will come here. And how do you survive in Israel? Same, same concepts. How do you survive? You pray a lot. You got to fight in the army. All these things. The only thing is not to run away. 
Don't run away. This third option is not a very good option. They wanted to run away because they didn't believe that they had the capability to get out of this without going back and surrendering. Surrender is not an answer either. They forgot there's a God in this in heaven. They forgot that Hashem is going to fight for them. So it's very important to understand that a person has to have this power, this, the inner strength, that's what we call it, inner strength. It's Don't get flustered. Don't get scared. Don't panic. You know, it's one of the lessons I learned when I was a kid. Um, we were walking down the street in London and in England, and uh, there was always anti-Semitism. Depending on the area, sometimes it's blatant, sometimes it wasn't blatant. I was walking down with my brother, my older brother, and uh, we were attacked by a five... Uh, teens, five teens, we were young. Uh, I may have been like 12 years old and there was five teens around us, surrounding us. And one guy had a big stick in his hand and uh, they said, do you want to fight? And I'll never forget, my older brother said very calmly, not really. <laughs> so I learned from him strength of character, not to get flustered, not to get, the guys who stay calm are the guys who are going to be victorious. The guys who stay calm and don't act through panic. So person acts through panic always makes mistakes. So it's very important to stay calm, think, think, think things, things through, have some faith, have some emunah, and think about what is the best option over here. There were, not, there were no good options over here. The trouble is over here, there were no good options, but we can apply these different options to our lives and try and figure out what is the best option. So number one option is, the best option is Hityatsavu. Hityatsavu is stay calm, find in the strength, and then make the decision. Don't make a decision when you're panicking. Very important. Don't make a decision when you're panicking because normally a person makes a decision when they panic, they're going to make a mistake. It's going to be a mistake. Okay, so that's the third group. Third group is we will surrender. And the fourth group is let's jump into the sea. Okay, now, now you could take that uh, literally and say, you know what, they wanted to commit suicide. The fourth group is like a Masada group. We don't want to fall into our enemy's hands. It's better we take our own lives. We find the Gemara tells us that the Romans had taken uh, captive 400 boys and 400 girls for slavery, for uh, sexual slavery. I didn't want to say it, but sexual slavery. And these boys and girls on their way to Rome in the boat, they jumped off the sea. They jumped into the sea. And uh, the rabbis praised them for that because they knew that there's no other way to get around it. And sometimes suicide is allowed in Jewish law. We find from King Saul. If they're going to torture you or they're going to make you transgress one of these three cardinal sins, then uh, suicide may be allowed. But uh, again, it's a major issue. um, And it's not something which uh, a rabbi can decide on the spur of the moment. You've got to go to a gadol ha-Torah, someone who's uh, experienced, has knowledge in the whole Torah and get that kind of leniency. But over here, so a lot of people translate this as the fourth group wanted to jump into the sea. This is a fourth group who gave up on life. So we can't beat the Egyptians. We can't run away from the Egyptians. The only way we can do it is, you know what? Let's commit suicide. But happens, it's interesting, because this fourth group is exactly what Hashem wanted. But not for the reasons that they wanted. But the reasons why Hashem wanted is to show emunah. That don't stop. That's the answer that Moshe Rabbeinu had to give the Jewish people. Hashem says, Why are you crying to me? He's telling Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is also praying. He's in the group of prayers. He's in the group of uh, people who believe in God and pray to God to get them out of their troubles. And they tell, he, Hashem tells Moshe, don't cry to me. Now is not the time to cry. Tell the people to move. This is the key to handling all obstacles. The key to handling all obstacles, we said, number one is Hityatsubu. Stay firm. Find inner strength. Don't panic. 
And number two is keep going. Keep moving in life. Life has to move on. Don't stop your life. You have to overcome and move on. A person has to overcome and move on. So a person wants to get married, they have to keep moving. They have troubles in the marriage, keep moving in the marriage. Don't give up hope. Have it now. Pray. Do all these things, but keep moving. Keep the marriage going. Don't stop. So it's very important to keep on going. Obstacles in life are continuous. There's never a day without something cropping up. And a person's got to keep on moving, and you'll find somehow the obstacles will go away. Aram Abinu had 10 obstacles. His obstacles were called Nisyonot, trials. And it doesn't say he passed all his trials. That says, the Mishnah says, He withstood the trials. That's already a big level of emunah, of strength of character, is withstanding trials. A person may not pass them 100%, but just withstanding the trials with their faith intact. I mean, we've, as Jewish people, we have withstood trials in every single generation, maybe multiple times in every generation. And nevertheless, we have withstood it, and we are standing still right here. We are standing firm, and we're going to get rewarded one day for withstanding these trials. Even if us didn't pass them all 100%, just withstanding the trial, just passing through. You know, there's an interesting mitzvah, and that is, uh, the Mara says, applies to Jews and non-Jews, elderly people over the age of Machloket, over the age of 70, according to Shulchan Aruch, over the age of 60, according to Arizal, you have to stand up for an elderly person when they walk into the room. Why? It's not religious. He's not Jewish. Why do I have to stand up for him? The fact that he withstood the trials of life gives a person the honor that a person has, other people have to give them honor. They withstood the trials of life. They reach a certain age and they went through and they have all the life experiences and they have the uh, wisdom of the street, whatever wisdom they have. It doesn't say they have to be rabbis. It doesn't have to say that we have to be wise. That's a different mitzvah of Ve'adah uh, Zaken. It's two things, Seva and Zaken. Now, you would think a Zaken is an elder person. It's not. A Zaken, the rabbis say, is a person who acquired wisdom. So a rabbi is called a Zaken, even though he's young. And a seva is a person who is old. An old person, you have to stand up for if they're over the age of 70. This applies to everyone. So an old, a, pe- a person over the age of 70, you know, today, it's a, sometimes it's very hard to tell who's over 70. They look, people look so young, look so good, look so vibrant. I can think of a few people from our shul who look so good, you could never believe they're over 70, and that makes it harder to do that mitzvah. But anyway, if you know they're over 70, you've got to stand up for them. At least do it. What's called the hidur, stand up a little bit. Give some respect to a person who withstood the trials of life. So just withstanding a trial, that's, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling him. First thing to do is strength of character. Don't get flustered. Stay calm. That's very, very important. That's number, ten, number two is, and see what Hashem is going to do for you. So don't get flustered. Don't get panicky. Number two is emunah. And number three is v'isahu. Tell the people to keep moving. So it's very important. How do you get through the obstacles of life? Number one is hitziatzvu. Strong. Be strong. Be f- Number two is have faith. So strength of character. Don't get flustered. Don't get panicked. Number two is have faith in God. Listen, God is all powerful. We've got the most powerful force in the universe on our side. If you're doing what God's will, you're on God's team. If you're on God's team, you're on the winning team. If a person's on God's team, you're on the winning team. So it's very important to know that we're on the winning team. All of us are on the winning team. We're on God's team. And whatever happens, it's going to be the best. Hashem is going to do the best for us. 
if you love God, God loves you. And God loves you even if you don't love him. So, <laughs> so it's very important to have these three qualities. Number one is don't get flustered. Be strong. Find that strength inside yourself to continue with life despite all the adversities. Number two is have emunah in God. And have bitachon in God. Not just emunah, but bitachon that God is looking after me personally. God is a personal God. I can talk to God anytime and God is with me all the time. And number three is keep moving. Don't stop your lives. Keep your life going. Keep moving through the troubles. Keep moving through the obstacles. It's very hard to do. So a person's blood pressure rises. They have this obstacle in their life and they're worried about it all the time. But nevertheless, the person's got to keep on moving on with life. Get married, have, ch- have children. Imagine all these Holocaust survivors who rebuilt their lives. That's, that's what we're talking about. Keep moving. Don't stop. Don't let the obstacle kill you. Don't let the obstacle throw you off your balance and don't let the obstacle destroy the rest of your life. Just keep on moving and keep on going. That's exactly what Hashem told them. So what happened is this group that said, let's jump into the sea, apparently was for the wrong reasons, but the right, the right course of events, because that's exactly what God wanted. God wanted the person to keep moving through that obstacle to show their faith in God. So keep moving, keep on course, keep on your compass. Don't divert your attention for one minute. Don't be flustered by the events. Just keep your eye on the ball. What is the ball? That is the question. That is the million-dollar question. What is the ball? The ball is to fix, the Rebundion says, in a very, very important volume, Eben Shlema. He says the goal of life is to perfect one's character traits. To perfect one's character traits. And one of the ways we perfect our character traits is by these obstacles that come. To perfect our emunah. To affect our belief in God, to get married, to be a better person, to, to get along with other people is very, very critical. To have children, to be a giver, not a taker. These are fundamentals in our lives. These are our goals. These are our missions. To be a giver and not a taker, to get along with other people, to have, uh, build up our immunah. These are our fundamentals. These are our goals. So it's not to lose the ball, not to lose sight of the ball. These are our goals of life. So that's how we get through the obstacles. Keep your eye on the ball. And keep moving. Don't stop. And that's why exactly what the Jewish people did. Hashem says, keep moving. And that's what happened is, there's a whole big discussion over here. Who kept moving? Who was the lucky tribe? Who was the lucky people who kept on going? And the, the Midrash says, they actually had a fight. Typical. <laughs> the one tribe says, we're going to be first. The other tribe says, we're going to be first. So one opinion says, Binyamin, the tribe of Binyamin won. The second opinion says, it was actually Nachshon ben Aminadab, the tribe of Judah, now, Shom ben Aminadab was the husband of Miriam. So Miriam married this, the head of the tribe of Judah. It's a very good marriage. They had lots of kids. And Mashiach is coming from that union. So it's a blessed union. Now, Shom ben Aminadab, uh, according to his opinion, was the one who jumped into the sea. And because of that, the sea split. So in other words, you've got to keep on moving. That's the idea. Marriage is about jumping into the sea. There's no guarantees in life. That's the trouble. There's no guarantees. No one knows what that marriage is going to bring. A person has to say, Hashem, please help me. You're set to get married. I'm going to do the mitzvah the best way I can. I think this is the right one for me. I'm going to jump. And Bezrat Hashem, the sea will split. But we said the sea has to split every day. Because marriages start off with, uh, unfortunately, I don't want to say with a bang. But a lot of them end with a whimper. And we have to make sure every day that we get through the obstacles in our lives without uh, cracking our marriages and breaking our marriages and, and getting, making our marriages stronger. And uh, 
is not just making the marriage last, but making the, the marriage vibrant. It's also about marriage being vibrant. And that's, 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 what the, that's how the Talmud links marriage to the crossing of the sea. You'll think two disparate, what's, what's the crossing of the sea got to do with marriage? And the answer is nothing and everything. It has nothing to do with marriage, but it has everything to do with marriage. Because marriage is like crossing the sea, and it's an endless sea to uh, everything. So anyway, so that's number, number, that's number one. That's the number one part of the parasha I want to talk about. The second part of the parasha is this idea of shira. Um, shira. So let's also talk about why did the sea split? So number one is we said the Jews jumped into the sea. person has problems, you jump into the problem, you keep moving into the problem, and the sea splits eventually, the problem goes away. Number two, there's another issue of here. The Gemara says in Sota, the Gemara says, Yosef. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one, you know, it says before Moshe Rabbeinu, before uh, Yosef died, he told the tribes, the other tribes, he gathered everyone around him, and he says, when, I, when you leave Egypt, make sure you take my bones with you. And I couldn't, uh, I can't go to Paro because I'm the viceroy of Egypt and ask him to take, let my bones leave because I know Paro is going to refuse. And therefore, when I die, I want you to promise me that you are going to do it. You're going to have to find a way somehow to take my bones out. So it says when the Jews were getting all the money from Egypt and they're emptying out Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu was going around looking for the bones of uh, Yosef. And only one person knew where the bones were, and that was Serach Bat Asher. Serach Bat Asher was a very special uh, young lady who uh, was the one who broke the news that Yosef was alive to Yaakov. The, the sons were very, very terrified. You know, sometimes a person can die with good news. So uh, by, by the shock of hearing good news. Um, so uh, that's the famous joke. It says a man goes to the rabbi and uh, he says, Rabbi, he says, I won a lottery. I won, I don't know what the lottery was, about $9 million, $10 million. And the rabbi says, wow, so fantastic. And that's good news. And he says, yes, Rabbi, he says, I want your, your shul to get four million. And the rabbi fainted. So that's, uh, that's a good shock. So they were scared that Yaakov, you know, is going to have a good shock by, by hearing that Yosef is alive. Right? That's, that's the famous Midrash. So what do they do? It says, Sarah Badasher was his granddaughter. Sarah, the daughter of Asher. Uh, she had a musical instrument and she played the musical instrument. And in the song she sang, she said, she wove in the words, Yosef is alive, Yosef is alive, Yosef is alive. And yes, Yaakov was very depressed. He's listening to the music and he's hearing these words over and over again in the song, Yosef is alive. And that's how he, they broke the news to Yaakov that Yosef was still alive. Anyway, this young girl, Sarah Batashe, gets blessed by Yaakov. She has a tremendously long life. In fact, the Gemara says she never died, whatever that means, but she's a tremendously long life. And she was around when Moshe was looking for the bones of Yosef. And she told him where it was. It was buried in the River Nile in a, in a casket made of uh, iron or lead. A casket made of lead, very heavy. The Egyptians did not want him to leave. They put him in a casket of lead. And somehow Moshe Rabbeinu, he wrote the names of God on a piece of paper. And he put it inside the water. And the casket started floating. And he took the bones of Yosef and, he, and the casket. And he carries on his back. And when everyone is leaving Egypt, it says they had 90. One says in Bechorot, every Jew left Egypt with 90 donkeys full of gold, silver, and fine clothing because of God's promise to Abraham and the Brit Ben-Abetarim and the covenant of pieces. We say this in the Haggadah. They left Egypt with a tremendous bounty of belongings. So it's uh, good to know and good to see 
they left Egypt, like the promise of Abraham Avinu. So when everyone was busy emptying out Egypt with all this gold, the silver, here was Moshe Rabbeinu taking out the bones of Yosef. So the Gemara says, they quote a pasuk in Mishlei, in Proverbs, and someone says, Hacham lev yikach mitzvot. A wise person in their heart will take mitzvot. So they say Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of taking the booty, the money, and the, and the gold, and the silver, he took the mitzvah of burying the bones of Yosef. You know, there's different levels of chesed. Uh, the the Mishra says in Peah, which say, we say every day, Elu dvarim These are things which have no quantity, no quantity for maximums. There's no maximum for Peah, Bikurim, Re'eon, Rut Hasadim. Gimurut Hasadim, which is acts of kindness have no limits. So the Gemara says, that's not talking about tzedakah. Why? Because tzedakah has a limit, no more than 20%. But acts of kindness with one's body has no limits. So for example, there's no limits if you want to visit sick people, which today you've got to watch out. Um, if you want to go and bury the dead, if you want to go and help someone who who's, uh, needs help, a uh, uh, person needs to move, you want to go and help them move, all these things are acts of kindness with one's uh, body, and therefore those things have no limits. But the highest level of kindness you can do is with someone who's passed away. That is called chesed shel emet. That is called kindness of truth. Why is it kindness of truth? Because you're actually helping someone who can never pay you back. When a person helps someone, there's always some idea in the back of one's head, maybe, maybe, that, you know, I'm helping him. Maybe when I need help, he'll help me or she will help me. So over here with a dead person, there's no way that person can help that. And therefore, it's called an act of kindness, which is an act of kindness of truth. And Moshe Rabbeinu was engaged in an act of kindness of truth, that burying the bones of Yosef in, back in Israel. So it says that's why Moshe was called a pious person. He was called a chassid. He was called, he was doing an act of piety. Despite, there were two mitzvot over here. One mitzvah was, Hashem says, please, Moshe, tell the Jews to empty out Egypt. So it's one of the few mitzvot in the Torah. It says, please. I think it's the only one. Where God says, please, Moshe, please tell the Jews, please, to go and empty out Egypt. Go and borrow all these things from the Egyptians. Take all the gold and the silver. Why? Because I'm worried that the... The, I told I told Abraham Avinu, I promised him they're going to be slaves in a foreign land. That part came true. And I also said they're going to leave with a lot of booty. So um, Abraham Avinu will tell me, you, the first part came true. You made it come true. What about the second part? So please make sure they take all the booty out of Egypt. Make sure they take all the goods out of Egypt. So everyone's busy doing that mitzvah, taking everything out of Egypt. And here's Moshe taking the bones of Yosef. So that's why he was called a pious person. He gave up a mitzvah to bring him in great wealth in order to bury the dead. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But why does it also call him a wise man? Why is it called? What's so wise about Moshe taking out the bones of Yosef? So it says, it's interesting, the sea never split. Yalkut uh, Shimoni says, it says the sea split only when it saw the coffin of Yosef. So there's different Midrashim, obviously. One opinion says, Nachshon ben Amina died, Dovin, and the water got up to his mouth. And uh, he was about to die and get drowned, and then the sea split. The other midrash says the whole tribe of Binyamin went in. The other midrash, this is third midrash. The midrash says sea split when it saw the coffin of Yosef. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu take out the coffin of Yosef? So two reasons: number one, he was called a, a, a pious person. He did a mitzvah, even though he could have done a mitzvah with a lot of money, he gave it up and he did a mitzvah of truth. And number two is because he, he was a hacham. He was a ham, and he saw the reason why the sea is going to split is because of the bones of Yosef. So what, what does that mean? What does that, that got to do with anything? 
And we, when we see this, so the answer is we see this in Betzayit Yisrael B'Yitzrayim. We sing in the Halel. It's Psalm number, uh, what Psalm is it? It's in Psalms, the book of Psalms. And it's a book, and it's a Psalm we sing in the Halel. Betzayit Yisrael B'Yitzrayim. Ayam Rav, Ayanos, right? The sea saw, and it ran away. The sea saw, right? Not the sea saw, but the sea saw the bones of Yosef. That's how the Midrash explains it. And the sea ran away from the Jewish people. The sea broke. The sea split from the Jewish people. Why? Why? What's, what's the merit of Yosef? What's the merit of the bones of Yosef? So here the same word is used in this psalm. The sea saw Vayanos and it ran away. Is used in the story of Yosef when it says Yosef ran away from the wife of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. And it says, Vayanos hachutza. He ran outside. He left his cloak in her hands. Unfortunately, he left the evidence behind that he was there, the cloak, and he ran away. He didn't take any chances. And as a, as a payment of his running away, the, all the Jewish people were saved at the, at the Red Sea. The sea saw Yosef's bones and it ran away. Just like he ran away from Potiphar's wife, the sea paid him back and the sea ran away from him. That's an amazing concept. And so therefore that was the merit of Yosef that the sea split. So what sea are we talking about? And the sea could be any sea. Merits can split the seas in our life. It's another idea of how to get through the obstacles in life. Just like the merit of Yosef split the sea, so too the merit of a person's mitzvot can split the seas in his life or her life, can split the obstacles in one's life. The obstacles of marriage, we said, that's number one. Number two, there's another obstacle, which is as hard as crossing the sea. It says splitting the sea, and that is parnasa, earning a living. Earning a living is considered as hard as splitting the sea. It's like kiryat yamsuf. Earning a living is like kiryat yamsuf. What does that mean? A person is going to try, try their best at this at that interviews, non-stop interviews, especially today. It's so hard to get a job, to keep a job today. And uh, Corona and all the problems, economic problems, and therefore it, the sea has to split. And therefore the merits, that's another, another issue, which is merits. Merits can get the sea to split. So Yosef was surrounded by temptation. And uh, the sea split. So Midrash Rabbah goes into details. The Midrash Rabbah says, shows us that Yosef was Rewarded in six different ways for his actions with Potiphar's wife. Number one, his mouth, his lips did not kiss someone, which is an Avera, the wife of someone else, an Avera, to kiss her. Potiphar, uh, sorry, Pharaoh said, through your mouth, the people are going to do whatever you say. Okay, so my, my people are going to listen to you now. So because his lips did not do an Avera, people have to listen to his lips. His body, they never did an Avera, they never did a sin. They clothed him in garments of linen. His neck, they did not bow for a sin. They put a gold chain around his neck. His hands did not get involved with a sin. Pharaoh took off his ring and put it on the ring of, he put it on the hand of Yosef. That's his reward for not touching an Avera, not doing a sin with his hands. Raglav shelo pasu ve'avera, his feet that did not run to an Avera, ve'ikav oto ve'merkevet ha'mishne. They seated him in the royal chariot. So he didn't have to walk. He was in the royal chariot. Machshava shelo chashva ve'avera, 
his mind that did not work in Avera, he didn't think about it. Avera, Ish Hacham Ben Avon, he was a smart man, he was a wise man. So Hashem rewarded him with tremendous wisdom. He could tell him, how, he could tell Paro how to translate his dream. So these are all the gifts that Yosef got from keeping away from Potiphar's wife. She was a married woman, laws of snood, laws of uh, morality, and he kept away. However, there's a seventh one, seventh reward, which is after he died. And that is the sea saw his bones and the sea split. So we find another category of ways of going through the obstacle, which is the idea of merits, the idea of merits of one's parents, one's forefathers, and also one's own merits, and even one's merits of one's children can help a person split the obstacles in their life. Now, this is a very interesting concept, the idea of running away from an Avira. There's a book called The Path of the Just, Mesidat Yisharim, written by Moshe Chaim Luzato, also called the Ramchal, who was a very famous rabbi, Kabbalist, and who came, moved to Israel, unfortunately died early in Eretz Israel, he came to Israel, and he's buried different opinions. Uh, his burial, one burial, one is, uh, site is next to the bones of Rabbi Akiva, the body of Rabbi Akiva in Tiveria. So you'll find over there, there's Rabbi Akiva's buried over there, and the Ramchal is buried over there. So our first duty, he says in his Misnagi Sharim, the first pathway to the heights of prophecy is Zehirut. Zehirut is staying away from evil, staying away from sin, running away from sin, Zehirut. And that's what we see from Yosef, the tremendous merit he got for staying away, for running away, that all the Jewish people were saved because of that. So Zehirut, and the, the Ramchal says a very interesting thing, he says the reasons for all the rabbinical laws of Zerot, the Ramchal made fences around the Torah, because he compares breaking laws of the Torah as falling off a cliff. So just like the government, hopefully they have a good government and they're worried about road safety. They build these walls on the, on the edges of the road so people don't drive over the wall and, and crash um, and get into accidents. So too, the rabbis were concerned that people would transgress mitzvot and therefore the rabbis put fences around the mitzvot. So it's a very important idea, this idea of keeping away from falling off a cliff. It's amazing, this concept of falling off a cliff. So now we have a little problem. We have a little problem because the Torah tells us that the Jewish people are taking the long way around. Hashem took them a long way around to Israel. He didn't want to take them a short way around because they would go, the short way around was through Gaza. Oh, Gaza has always been a bad place. Gaza's, Gaza has bad uh, memories for us because that's where the Philistines, the original Philistines, this is where the name Palestine came from. Although the people who call themselves Palestinians are no relation at all to the Philistines because the Gemara says the Philistines were taken away by the Assyrians, um, and when the Assyrians tried to conquer, they actually took away the ten tribes, and we lost them. So too, they took away the Philistines, and they lost. The Philistines are lost. They're not known who they are today. We don't know who the Philistines are. But the Philistines, for many years, for thousands of years, lived in Gaza, around that area of Gaza. They had five cities, Gaza, Ekron, Ashkelon, um, and, and a few others, uh, I remember all of them. So they were, they were, they were in that area of the strip over there, the Gaza Strip, and they were very fierce warriors. And sometimes they would take over Israel, in the time of Samson and the time of David, the time of Shaul. All the times the Philistines gave us the most trouble, havoc. They caused havoc, and they would rob all our harvests and they whatever. They did a lot of bad things. Okay. So Hashem didn't want to take them the short way. He took them a long way. He took them a long way around, six weeks longer. And they could have been there in three days in Israel, three days, six days, and six weeks instead. 
It's not in the last six weeks are not bad. Instead, they had to wait 40 years to go into Israel. That's a very long time because of the sin of the spies. So Hashem says, it's better to take the people through the desert and not through Eretz Palestine. I don't want to take them through the land of the Philistines because I don't want to put them in a test. They're going to have to fight their way through the Philistines. And that's what happened is, so that's kind of uh, be careful. I don't want to put a test in front of the kind of pass. And therefore, I'm going to take them a long way around. Unfortunately, we're going to see that there was another fight. Okay, at the end of the parasha. So the beginning of the parasha is how they got through the obstacle with the Philist, with the with the Pharaoh and uh, the Egyptians. And the last part of the parasha is Amalek attacks them. Amalek, the dreaded nation, Amalek. Now it's interesting. It's an interesting story of where did Amalek come from? So Amalek is uh, uh, our relative. Amalek, Amalek is one of our relatives. He's a grandson of Esau. Amalek was a grandson of Esau. Apparently, there was a girl, a young girl called Timna. And Timna was a Canaanite around that area. And she wanted to believe in one God. And she wanted to marry into Abraham's family. And she comes to Abraham. And he turns her away. She came to Yitzhak, turned away. came to Yaakov, turned away. And the only one who would marry her was Eliphaz. Eliphaz was the son of Esau. Esau's son married Timna, and her son was Amalek. Her son was Amalek, who caused us havoc. Uh, the last uh, Amalek that caused us havoc, we don't know uh, who Amalek is today. But the last one we caused havoc was a guy called Haman, which you've all heard of in the Purim story. Uh, Haman Ha'agagi, who's the son of the king of Amalek, Agag. Okay, so he's the Amalek, the last known Amalek for sure, but uh, Rambam says Amalek is not a nation. Amalek is an ideology. Oh boy. Amalek is an ideology that Amalek is alive today. The ideology of Amalek is alive and well today. They are the anti-Semites. The Rambam says if a person hates Jews for no reason, it's also a sign he hates their God. And that's Amalek. Amalek is a person who hates Jews for no reason at all. We didn't do anything to him. He hates Jews. And what they stand for and their God that is Amalek today. That's Rambam's perspective. Not everyone agrees with him. But if you, uh, Amalek, there's no Amalek today. There's no one who we know of who is the son of Amalek. And people want to say Hitler was Amalek. And definitely, according to the opinion of the Rambam, he would definitely be Amalek. The ideology that he, pers- that he espoused is pure Amalek ideology. And that's the idea of killing the children and the women. That is Amalek. Amalek came and attacked us from behind. They came and they attacked us from the, they didn't come from the front and attack all the mighty warriors. They came from behind and they attacked the weak who were walking in the, in the back of the party. They couldn't keep up with everyone. And they came, all the people who were tired and weak behind you, the Torah says. That's Amalek. Amalek is people who hate Jews for the sake of because they're Jewish. They came from nowhere to attack us. We didn't do anything to them. We weren't even near them. And they came to attack us to show the disregard for us and disregard for our God, disrespect for our God. That's Amalek. So Hashem says, you know what? I'm not going to take them through Gaza. The Philistines over there, they're going to get scared of war. They'll go back to Egypt. You know what? So, but the end of the parasha seems to contradict that. But it's not something that could have been foreseen. But this parasha is a very interesting parasha because this parasha is all about growth. It's all about the tests and travails that Jewish people had to go through to grow as a nation. So before we get there, let's a little, little bit talk about the song. 
I will sing a praise to God. Now it's interesting because it says Moshe and all the Jews sang this praise together. So what happened? How can you sing a praise together when you don't even know the words? There's no written words over here. So it says they all got Ruach HaKodesh from after what they went through at the Red Sea. And they, they got, by the way, it's not the Red Sea, it's Yam Suf. Suf means the Sea of Reeds. So apparently in the English Bible, there was a little typo. And instead of the Reed Sea, they, put, they skipped one E and it became the Red Sea. That's how the Reed Sea became the Red Sea. It's a total mistake. And uh, till today, that mistake continues. So it's the Yam Suf, which is the Sea of Reeds. Why? Because there's a lot of reeds around it. So anyway, so when they got to the Red Sea and they came and, they, and the Red Sea split and they walked through and then they see the, the waters cover the Egyptians, they realized what a massive miracle it was. And they realized this is the hand of God. It's, uh, it's God whose uh, emunah went up tremendously. Their emunah went up tremendously and they all got prophecy. The Gemara says, bayam." Yechezkel was the prophet Ezekiel who saw the Merkava vision in the first chapter of Yechezkel. Amazing vision. And here the maidservant of the sea saw more prophecies, saw more visions than Yechezkel. How do we know they saw prophecy? They had this Ruach HaKodesh. It's because they all sang the same song, the same words at the same time, the same tune. Amazing. Amazing. So they all had the same words to the same prophecy that they got, and they sang this song. Now, it's a very important concept over here. The concept is, if something good happens to you, be very grateful to God and sing a song of praise to God. So it's a very, it's a nice custom, and the custom is to make a party. It's called a sudat hoda'a. Make a, a, a meal of thanksgiving to God and invite your friends today. It's very hard to do with corona. Don't advise it. Um, unless you all have your vaccines. And even then, today, they're not recommending anything. You shouldn't get together, whatever. So, but when times are good, Bezrat Hashem, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on making one. So that Bezrat Hashem will all be there. The, the fact that I arrived in Eretz Israel and I'm living in our land, finally one of my dreams has come true. Bezrat Hashem, I'll make a surat Hoda'ah, try and get a minyan to come and say praises to God. So what praises should a person say? And the answer is, there's a very special praise which we say every Shabbat. In Shacharit, Nishmat Kol Chai Tevarech Echimcha. My soul, the soul of all living creatures, should praise your name, Hashem. It's a very beautiful prayer. And that's the custom is that when something good happens to a person, they make a surat hoda'a, a meal of praise, and praise God with Nishmat Kol Chai. So that's something, unfortunately, a lot of people forget. And we complain when things don't go well, but when things do go well, and we have ample reasons to praise God, it's very important to praise Him. And that's what we learn from this parasha, is this idea of not to be a kafui tova. One of the worst traits in the world is to be a kafui tova. What is a kafui tova? A person who does not um, thank someone who did good to them. A person who does not bear any thanks to someone who did some good for them. A person could always remember, you know, oh, that person, thank you. Oh, that person, a favor. That person did uh, good things for me. And we see this today in children sometimes. Children rebel against their parents and they have no idea of thanking them for all the things they did for them. The children turn out to be ingrates. That's the worst. One of the worst traits is an ingrate. A person being an ingrate, that's why it's a mitzvah to to always honor our parents uh, despite what they do, whatever. But we have to honor them for what they did for us and not to be an ingrate. So... That's a very important idea. So singing song of praise to God straight away 
was a tremendous thing. We find later on the Gemara says about Hiskiyahu Melech in, in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. It says Hiskiyahu Melech would have been the Mashiach. But you know what? He never praised God. He never thanked God. He never sang a song of praise to God. It says he was uh, the king of Judah. And here the Assyrians, we talked about earlier, Sancheriv, the king of the Assyrians, and 180,000 people in the army surrounded the walls of Jerusalem. And it's Yahu, he, he says to the guy, he says, guy, he says, I'm just too tired. I can't even pray. I can't do anything. I'm going to bed. And I'm going to let you handle it. So he goes to sleep. And in the morning, he wakes up. And the whole army would die that night in a plague, except for Sancheriv and his two sons. Wild a miracle, a wild miracle. You would expect him to sing a song of praise, and he didn't. He said, listen, everyone knows about the miraculous events that happened in Israel. Everyone knows about the strengths of God. I don't even need to advertise it. I don't need to sing a song. And that's why it says he could have been the Mashiach, but he failed. He failed because he did not sing a song of praise. What does that mean? That means he did not, uh, he wasn't, he was a kafuitova. He did not bear this trait of saying thanks. Very important. When things are going well, we just sing praises to God. Thank God for everything. Thank God we have to sing, especially in Eretz Israel. I can really say this every day. I look at the mountains. Boy, can you imagine? These are the same mountains that probably David Amalek was looking at, meditating and writing his book of Psalms. Where will come my help? My help will come from Hashem, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's a very important idea. But what's interesting about this parasha is it starts off with beating the Egyptians, Hashem beating the Egyptians, and then ends off a few weeks later with uh, the fight with Amalek. And this is interesting because the fight with Amalek was not, there was no miracles involved. I mean, there were, but not, not revealed miracles. It was a hidden miracle, not a revealed miracle. Here are these Jews, the ex-Jews. They were a little uh, a band of stragglers. Here they come, and now they're a fighting force. And now they're fighting Amalek. And the miracle was that they won. So it says Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain and he lifted up his hands and his hands were emunah. Oh, here we have the word emunah. Very beautiful word, emunah. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up the mountain and it's emunah. And what does that mean, emunah? And his, his, his hands pointed upwards. He was pointing upwards in prayer. So you need the combination of the prayer and the practical, pragmatic. So it's very important to have both. And then we have also the story of the man I have to talk about next week. Where does our Parnassah come from? The idea of man, the idea of manna falling from heaven. Unfortunately, we don't see this explicitly. But if a person looks in their lives, they will see the manna coming from heaven. They'll see how God provides for them with miraculous ways sometimes. The manna will come from heaven. We'll all see the manna. It's one of the ten things you have to remember every day. This idea of man. And it's good to pay attention and read these verses when you're praying to God. Not so we don't do it today on a daily basis, even though at one time they did on a daily basis. It's not part of our prayer book. However, Ashkenazim sometimes I think they have it in their prayer book as well every day. Some people read it every day, the parsha of man. But this week especially, we should all read the power of man. And there's Rabbi Hashem Hashem will send us man in our lives. Uh, thank you all for attending this uh, class. There's Rabbi Hashem. We will talk about the man next week and other ideas as well. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.